Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple of pastor scholars dig in to the scriptures, uh, relevant text for the upcoming Sunday. I'm your host, John Drury, and I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury, one of my all-time favorite preachers, and I love interpreting scripture with Amanda. She's a regular on the show. So for regular listeners, you know all about Amanda, but for those who don't, uh, she is the uh, director of the Imaginarium, a center uh, focused on innovation in local churches, and is a professor of uh, practical theology and youth ministry and a whole host of other things uh, for the uh, college uh, here at Indiana Wesleyan University. And she is my wife. Uh, so we love doing this together. Uh, the passage for this week is Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. So if you want to turn there and get ready as you listen in on our conversation, uh, be sure when you get a chance to share uh, the show, to subscribe uh, through whatever podcast app you use, as well as to rate and review us on whatever podcast you're on, just to get the word out. The more that uh, the more it gets ratings, good ratings are preferred, but just ratings in general, as well as reviews, uh, draw attention to um, the show and let people find out about it who might not find out about it otherwise. Um, so yeah, if you get a chance to do that, that'd be great and share the the show on your social media just to get the word out to those who might find it helpful. Uh, I don't just want to have lots of listeners as an end in itself, but we do actually, after doing this for almost a year now, we've kind of felt like it might actually be helpful. <laughs> so uh, if you find it helpful, please let other people know when you get a chance. So uh, with that said, enjoy the show. Okay, well, our text this week is Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. You want to read or pray this time? I will read. Go for it. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask now that you would send your Holy Spirit afresh upon us. We believe that your Spirit is always at work, uh, moving often very secretly and subtly in all things you have created. We also believe that your Holy Spirit is 
in and among all those who confess that Jesus is Lord. And yet, in addition to these, this general and particular presence of your spirit, there is that unique, special, singular kind of movement of the spirit that sometimes for periods over a stretch of space and time, you place your spirit upon your creatures that they may serve you well. And so we dare to ask now that your spirit would be poured out afresh in this hour upon Amanda and upon myself and upon each and every person separated by space and time who's listening to our conversation. That the spirit who inspired these written words, that that same spirit would be upon us, upon us all this hour, so that our eyes may be opened, our hearts may be stirred, and our whole selves moved in response to the true hearing of the true word of God. This we dare to ask in the name of your word made flesh, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, what sticks out to you lately about this passage? What, uh, what captures your imagination today? I can sing while you think. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know, I, I, a wee I do, little man I do like that he. song. In fact, I think one of the main problems with children's songs right now is, is they're not, we don't get story songs like we used to. Yeah. I mean, somebody they're, hears... They're just not as good as they used to be. They're just not as good as they used to be. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but, but songs like Zacchaeus that people can learn so easily, and to know the song is to know the story. Yeah. Now, that the, the danger of that then is you think, well, I know the story, and so it's hard to see it with familiar eyes. But, but even as I look at my own, my own children, I, I, wish, I wish I had more songs like this. Yeah. Uh, it's got the motions with it. You know, everything about that song is just designed to stick in your, stick in your memory. Well... So it sounds like uh, in a future Fresh Text episode, we should write a song with our story. You should this write a song for every story that you do on well, Fresh Text. Let's do this every week. <laughs> I don't know about that kind of commitment. but Well, um, you said the danger is that then the story becomes a substitute for the text or even a Procrustean bed, a framework that obscures the reading of the text. Right. You right. seem to hint at that. Which I think is true, of course, in a way, like all knowledge of a text is that, right? So even really good textual interpretation itself becomes another obscuring to the next time sure, to read it. So, sure. so that is a problem, I agree, but it's a problem that is then an opportunity. So I don't know, maybe just for fun, we could just start with the song and test it against the text. Okay. See if it's obscuring anything, that either works. by what it leaves out, by what it overemphasizes, or what it just adds. That just came to mind. Yeah. Especially because, you know. Recording this on a Monday, you know, so the brain's still, still getting going. Right, right. right. The other thing too with the song. Oh yeah, is, go ahead. Especially if you learn it as a kid, then you tend to think of this as a, as a kid story. This is a children's ah, story, and sure. this is the kind that lends itself. I mean, I don't know that there's a children's Bible out there that doesn't have Zacchaeus in there. Yeah, I'm sure it, there it's is, because but... he's short. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but, yeah. Or is he? Right? Or is okay, he? Okay, yeah. We we'll come back to that. that. But let's take that. So, so Zacchaeus, that's his name. First verse, second verse. Was a wait, you're not gonna sing it? Okay, I'll sing it first. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Pause. So he's name is Zacchaeus. Mm -hmm. He's a man. Mm -hmm. And he's wee. He's wee. 
old-fashioned word for short, <laughs> right? Verse 3, he could not see because of he was short in stature, short in length, was a wee little man. So this, that's why I wasn't saying it, because it's hard to jump back in. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. I'm just going to do the whole thing. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going. Is it going or coming? Going. For I'm going to your house today. Mm-hmm. For I'm going to your house today. Is that right? There you go. That's it. Okay. So we've got Zacchaeus. We've got, he's small. Mm-hmm. He climbs up in a sycamore tree. That's in verse four, because the Lord he wanted to see. That's mm-hmm. mentioned twice. Verses three, he's seeking to see, and then in order to see him. And as the Savior passed that way, that's verse five. And as he came upon the place, so it's not passing exactly, but that's the language from the previous verse, so that he may see him because of that place, he, meaning Jesus, was about to pass by. So that, that verb sounds right in the verse, in the song, right? Yeah. And as the Savior passed, now to call him the Savior, although there is the language of salvation in verse, what, nine? Salvation yes. has come to this yep. house. Mm-hmm. So he's not referred to as the Savior here. I'm being picky for the sake of seeing. So again, sometimes self-conscious obscuring can lead to new insight, right? right so if you're right. aware that it's a song, then you can notice things. So anyway, so he's not called the savior there, but he, but there is reference to salvation to this house later in verse nine. So as the savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. That's right out of it. Anablepsos, right? He looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down, hurry up and come down for I am going to your house today. I mean, that's just like spot on. The today there is there. Yeah. The, um, the song doesn't have the hurry element, but the imperative, you come down, that's right. implies that. That's right. It doesn't... Uh, well, that's a great example of like the the limits of written text versus like, you know, in the form of a song, like in a way, by using the word hurry and come down is kind of like, you know, if you act it out, it's just... Quick, 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 you know, come down, come down. Like the, the, the quickness with which you say a thing sure, yeah, implies, yeah. come on, come on right now, right now. Yeah. No, that's a good insight. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to your house today. And that's the end, right? Story ends there. That's it. So then what's, what's left out? Uh, right. Jericho, the, the place. Okay. The, uh, anything about tax collecting. That's not. Yeah. Anything. Or just wealth. Right. Which or are both wealth. highlighted. Or, or Zacchaeus. I mean, so it pretty much stops at what? Verse five. The song only goes through verse it's five. It's only the first half of the story, mm-hmm. which is very striking to me. It is. <laughs> In terms of what it might obscure. The only reference is the implicit reference to say, to call him the savior, because he does say that the salvation has come to this house. Yeah, yeah. Um, if all we had was the song, though, and we didn't have the text, then we would read, Jesus cares about we little men. Yeah. Short people. Jesus cares about short people, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is maybe back to your hunch earlier that why it's a quote kids song, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're a little person mm-hmm. who wants to see Jesus. see Jesus, he sees you, right, and wants to be with you. That's great. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. Yeah. It reminds me of another, this is totally probably not helpful, but I'm going to say it anyway. Revelation 3, verse maybe 20, there's that famous line, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm always so struck because the whole quote then continues to say, um, and whoever hears my voice mm-hmm. and lets me in, I will mm-hmm. come into him and I will dine with him and mm-hmm. he with me. Right. Like the, it culminates in having a meal together, right? Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, if you're in a more kind of Eucharistic kind of church that celebrates the supper a lot more often, you hear that reference to possible, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sense of having a meal with Jesus as, which is such a theme in the scriptures and to make it not sound totally arbitrary, a theme in Luke, big theme in Luke and a theme yes. in this story. Yeah. I'm coming over to your house. Oh my gosh. It is way more connected than I realized, right? <laughs> but it's another example where we, we tend to interpret that. I remember seeing that picture of Jesus knocking on a door. You ever seen that one? A kind of famous yeah. painting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's always been explained that he's knocking on the door of your heart. Right. And I'm letting Jesus into my heart, which is valid. I'm not saying that's invalid. But to miss the kind of the the, the imagery of eating together and specifically him coming to eat in my space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. That And he likes to invite himself over. I right. really wasn't planning that connection, but I'm actually really pleased with it now. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Who knew we'd be uh, analyzing a song? But well, yeah, but it's if, really... if, someone, if someone is preaching on this text, yeah. people who are listening, if they're at all familiar with Christian subculture, they're going to be singing the song in their head. Yeah. So might as well leverage it. And, and I mean, it barely misses a beat from the first half of the story. Right. I think the big obscure, the big obscuring is the second half, which I think at least at first glance seems to be the climax of the story, right? It really is. This whole dialogue at the end is kind of this key moment. But I guess a parallel would be, I, I'm thinking of a passage that I know you love, and I've heard, I don't know if you preached on it, but we definitely discussed it. You've taught on it. The Mark 2 and its parallels of the the four friends who bring sure. the man down, mm-hmm. right? And that's another one where we often, the, that's so dramatic yeah. that that captures our imagination. But in terms of the passage itself, the climax then comes after that when Jesus forgives his sins, and then there's these people around him grumbling, right. might be the same verb, about who, who are you to forgive sins? And he's like, well, which one's easier, forgive sins or <laughs> sit up and walk? But I'll, I'll go ahead and do the healing thing. Like, it actually isn't a healing story. It's a forgiveness story. So it's actually a very strange, um, but that's another one of those stories where often we we remember the first half sometimes more than the yeah. back half, yeah. where there's yeah. like a dialogue and a debate. Now, maybe I'm guilty of putting too much emphasis on the dialogue and debate because I like dialogue and debate. <laughs> sure, sure. But I do like uh, where the song ends off in that it creates imaginative space for the person to imagine Jesus yeah, coming into my house. Absolutely. There's the, I'm coming to your house today. What are you going to do with the rest of the story? Which, funny enough, I think the story here actually is still very open-ended, depending, especially depending on how you interpret some of it. Right, right. But... uh yeah, I guess at first glance, maybe not, because it's kind of sewed up. But, you know, we don't we don't really know a lot about Zacchaeus no. um, and what his life looks like after this. It's just this moment in time. And or what those who are complaining in verse seven, mm-hmm. right? right? How they respond. We don't get their response. We don't get their pushback to say, yeah, 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 that's fine, Jesus. But, right? Huh. I wonder why Luke uses his name Zacchaeus. Why not just a tax collector? Oh, Oh my! Well, that's a whole fun ball of wax. Because is that a, is that an expression, ball of wax? I don't know. All right, keep going. 
Isn't that like, that's a whole other ball of wax or something? I don't know. Yeah. Guess I just made it up right now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, we don't have to camp out on this, but Luke, you know, has a, he's very concerned about the details, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even throws Mark under the bus in the opening verses of Luke, you know, with, there's many have attempted to <laughs> give a story, but I'm going to put it all decently and in order, you know. My good Theophilus. Uh, yes, yes. So, and, and what's funny about that is though, sometimes he he takes details out that appear. So for instance, I, in my current, I've got my NASB right here, which is one of my, my kind of pocket Bible, you know, that yeah, you've seen yeah. me carry around and you'll occasionally see me with a, like a heading and a passage will just be straight up crossed out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so here's one. It's the immediately preceding story. Okay. Is the story of the blind man in Jericho, who in Mark is named Bartimaeus. Okay. Luke does not name him as Bartimaeus, but this, my translation here has it in, has Bartimaeus receives his sight. So I cross out Bartimaeus because oh. he's not called Bartimaeus in Luke. Luke drops the name. Yeah. Don't know why yeah. for sure. Huh. Although this would be an example of sort of evidence for the fact that math, that Luke, Luke, Luke at least presents himself as kind of being a researcher and a, and a, and a concern for accuracy. Yeah. And detail. And, you know, so this story also appears in Matthew, but it's two men, two men asking, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Same kind of story. And it's in Jericho, but it's two men. So Matthew has two, no name. Mm-hmm. Mark has one man, very specific name, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Yeah, yeah. And then you got Luke. If you can imagine Luke writing later and maybe aware of other gospels, not necessarily Matthew, maybe Mark, and maybe other, and just oral traditions. Uh-huh. There's every reason to think that there was maybe some debate in the early church about how to tell this story correctly. Sure, sure. And you could totally see Luke, like, sometimes Luke has a sort of journalistic quality to him, at least in the modern sense, where it's like, oh, well, if I have conflicting witnesses, why don't I just drop the name altogether? Yeah. Right? Isn't that what yeah. a scholar or a journalist mm-hmm. would do? Mm-hmm. Just play it safe. Mm-hmm. No reference. We, we could almost assign journals or different newspapers to each one of the Gospels. Oh, yeah. Different story. style. Right, yeah. right. Right. So, so maybe, you know, uh, Mary and Martha, who also appear in John, they live in Bethany. Luke, there's no reference to where they are. And actually, it, it can't be Bethany narratively in Luke because he hasn't gone to Jerusalem yet. Luke structures it as a journey to Jerusalem. Yep. He's not there yet. It can't be Bethany, right? So so there's these very clear, like, uh, so, so when I say that Luke is oriented towards detail, I used to think that means he adds more detail, but sometimes his obsession with accuracy leads him to actually leave the detail out. Perhaps if he's not sure, maybe I'm reading into his yeah. head, but it seems like maybe I'm reading the kind of scholar's disposition into Luke, but he gives us reason to. He does. So if he's saying Zacchaeus, it's probably because he is aware of a man named Zacchaeus. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely quite the aside, <laughs> but it's interesting that it does give weight to his choice of, an, of naming a character it does. when he regularly leaves na- character names out. Mm-hmm. You know, last time you were doing a fresh text pod, we did the 10 lepers, you know, we don't get any of their names. Right. Right. So, I mean, this is pure speculation, but one wonders if Zacchaeus had become a follower of the way and was a known Christian uh-huh. decades later, mm-hmm. that would seem plausible to me. Or if he was just so short, he was well known. <laughs> He's the, the most famous short person. The Peter Dinklage of the Bible. <laughs> 
we need someone short for this job. Call. Oh, I feel so bad because we're two extremely tall people doing the Zacchaeus story. Yeah. <laughs> it's not <yeah>. fair. <laughs> What'd you say you are? 5'12? Something like that. That's right. 5'12. <laughs> well, okay, we've we've got a good start here. Let's take a quick break and come back and get into some of the interpretive troubles. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The Zacchaeus story. The Zacchaeus story. The story that only appears in Luke. It has no parallel. Um, in fact, the Jericho story is in all three synoptic gospels, the one that comes right before this, the blind man, although it has variation. Huh, yeah. And again, then Luke has this very... Luke's specific story, this Zacchaeus story, and as you highlighted, a named character, a tax collector, not only tax collector, but a chief tax collector, yes. very striking, and who's a short, or is he, or is he? This was a question that you've brought up to me before. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we start off talking about the song, and because so many of us heard it as a kid, we think we know the story, we assume that we know, oh, I, yeah, I know the Zacchaeus story, and... Sometimes I love to pull out the scripture with my students just to remind them that so often we have our own assumptions in the text or, or it's hard to see the text with fresh eyes. So I'll, I'll bring up this passage. I'll say, okay, do you know the story of Zacchaeus? And there's always some smart aleck man that goes, yeah, he was a wee little man. And everyone kind of laughs. Uh, and then I say, okay, well, tell me more about Zacchaeus. And they'll tell me, well, he's a tax collector, wee little man. He was short. Uh, and then when someone, whenever someone says he was short... I'll stop and say, was he? And they'll say, well, yeah. I say, okay, show me where in the text. Well, it's, it's, it's right here. And then someone will say, let's see here, where to go? He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. Which can raise an interesting question of who's the short person. Is it Zacchaeus or is it Jesus? Yeah. Grammar so, doesn't settle it. No, no. So is Zacchaeus climbing the tree because Jesus is so short and he can't see him otherwise? I mean, we've got, what, the passage in Isaiah talking about there was nothing uh, you know, nothing physically about him that would attract people. But th that always freaks my students out just a little bit <laughs> because it challenges this childhood picture they had in their mind. Now, I, I think Jesus is always pictured tall. He is. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think the way the story reads, I think you can make a good case that it's Zacchaeus who's short. But to just pull out that that one question like that, who is it that's short in this passage, I think is a, is a powerful reminder to us uh, of the assumptions that we bring into our own reading. And and also some of the joy that can come with, with looking at something a little bit differently. So everyone's a little bit annoyed when I first bring this up, but it's also this, oh my goodness, what else am I missing in the text? Hmm. Well... Let's stay with this one a little bit. I know you're you're bringing the general, the general truth that the text can surprise you, but mm -hmm. the particular one fascinates me because the grammar really is indeterminate. Um, I know you didn't want to make this about grammar. No, you go <laughs> <laughs> as long as you make it about grammar. Not so me. verse three, and he was seeking. That's a imperfect verb. So a continuous past. He was seeking to see the Jesus. <laughs> there is an article in the original. The Jesus. The Jesus. Who he is. So 
he was trying to see who Jesus is or who Jesus was. And, or but, Kai can be translated either way, but he was not able from the crowd, which is used from in the sense of because of, from the crowd because with short of stature he was, (laughs) or it was, he, she, or it was. So in principle, in terms of just sheer grammar, now there's more to language than grammar, even though I sometimes imply otherwise, but um, you can't have language without grammar. There you go. But there's more to language than grammar. In principle, the the thing that is short uh, or short of length, uh, short of size, short of stature, it could be the crowd, could be, which was the last noun referenced. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes maybe even less sense, but it's an option grammar-wise. Okay. Yeah. It could be the crowd because that's yeah. a singular verb. It could be who wasn't able, which in context seems to be Zacchaeus. Uh-huh. Or which is the which is the subject of the, the the most the previous verb. Or it could be Jesus, which is the last proper noun in the verse. It's a part in the grammar again. But it genuinely is open, at least at the pure grammar level, that either the crowd was short of stature which makes the least sense. Yes. Right? Because if the crowd was short of stature or the crowd was small, which is a possible reading, then he wouldn't need to climb. He wouldn't need to climb tree, right? So that that can, we can probably safely set that one aside. The fact that he needed to get up into a tree, uh well actually we don't even have the tree yet in verse 4, right? This is verse 3. That's not till verse 4. Um the fact that he would get up and need a tree would make perfect sense if he's short. But but here's the best evidence. I'm going to put I'm going to play devil's advocate and pretend that I actually completely by your idea since you didn't push it hard and you just made it <laughs> couldn't it be fun oh probably isn't I'm like well okay then i'll do it i thought you were going to push for it uh we already got a full description of zacchaeus in verse three verse two i mean zacchaeus oh sure right it's a whole yeah. a whole sentence and behold a man name the name to him was called zacchaeus and he himself was the chief Toll collector, and he himself wealthy, right? So why wouldn't it also say, and he was short? Yes. The delay actually raises the stakes on the possibility <laughs> that Jesus was the short one in the crowd, and the man couldn't see him. I, I just, I really don't think it's as unlikely as you initially suggest. Okay. I'm convincing myself, talking yeah, yeah, myself yeah. into a corner. Okay, okay, well, let's play with that. Are there any other stories that we know about Jesus that could imply that he was short? <laughs> Okay, the, well, the woman grabbing his garment. Is there something? Uh... Well, he keeps sneaking out of crowds. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if Jesus was short of stature, mm-hmm. he would be hard to see in a crowd. I mean, that's just straightforwardly the case. Right, right. And so in the story, it actually works. It's not just grammar wise. I think actually, I say grammar. There is the level up is syntax, which is the structure of the sentence. I think the syntax suggests it's Zacchaeus because the, there's that extra verb. He was not able. So the right. one who is short is probably the, the subject of the verb is going to be the previous verb. So you kind of would have to say that Jesus wasn't able from the crowd. But so I, it's pretty clear to me you've got three verbs here. So I've now just kind of backed off that the syntax of verse three, the grammar is ambiguous, but the syntax seems clear enough to me. But it's actually the larger structure that raises the question, why did we not hear that he was short? Especially because the song leads with that. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. the first thing we know about Zacchaeus. Whereas it's it's the it's the the fourth thing we learn about Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. We get his name, we get his occupation, and we get his social. We get his social status, his, his economic status. Yeah. Right. So we've so, and I only have one counter piece of counter evidence. Okay. Luke two fifty two. He increased in stature and in favor with God and man. Okay. There is actually a reference, but that could just mean he grew up. Sure. Although it seems to kind of hint that he, you know, he was appropriately sized. Yes. But uh. Well, and and you, you look at the Garden of Gethsemane. I, you can almost guess that he's perhaps the same height as the other people because the soldiers didn't just go, "Hey, arrest the short guy." Ah, yeah. Well, let's put it this way: the fact that there's no other references to Christ's height. What this do, that this conversation does result in is at least the uh, demystifying the notion of Jesus as this tall leader, mm-hmm. right? And I think sure. we do, should be careful with that notion of the tall, handsome Jesus yep. that everyone's drawn to. His appearance is never referenced as a factor in his popularity, right? It's mm-hmm. the authority of his teaching. It's the power of his miracles. That's what drew people to him. So I think there's at least some value in if not making Jesus short, using this little exegetical excursus to make Jesus normal. <laughs> normal height. <laughs> average average height. Well, sure, because if Jesus was extremely tall, then he might not have needed to climb a tree either. True, 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 true. Yeah. So, yeah, the point the point works either way. Yeah, I mean, if Goliath comes walking through town, you probably don't have to walk a, <laughs> climb a tree. I, I love that you're geeking out with me on this. This is so fun. You've brought that up before. And I've heard you talk about it. and We've never really... Okay, I've got one. Okay. I've got an interpretive okay. problem Ooh. That, that's leveraging the same principles you were saying. Okay. We always take it one way. What if we take it another way? And even if the other way is not right, maybe it'll help us see something. I've got one too. Let's see if it's the same <gasps> one. Okay. You go first. Let's say it at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, why don't you do yours? No, you do yours. Okay. I just did mine. That's true. Verse, starting at verse seven, um, but eight is the key translation and interpretation problem starting verse seven though but or and beholding this they all were grumbling or murmuring saying that with a sinner man he has gone to lodge right to spend the night basically or spend the day but standing there Zacchaeus said to the Lord behold I'm going to translate, if it's sounding wooden, it's because I want to translate it really wooden to make the point. Okay. Behold, the half of my possessions, Lord, to the poor I give. And if anyone I have defrauded, I will give, I, not I will, I give back fourfold. Mm -hmm. Then Jesus said to him that today salvation to this house has come to be. For even this is is a son of Abraham. Okay, you're going, "Mm mm-hmm, what are you thinking? Well, so what I read in this is perhaps Zacchaeus was already living out that way. Perhaps it's not just a, oh, now that I see you, I'm giving away. Perhaps this is already the lifestyle that he was in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's grammatically possible. And not just grammar, but even syntax. The syntax, actually, that would be the more natural reading translation wise. And a lot of our translations turn it into a future. And these are not future verbs. 
It's these are very clearly present tense. That's why I tried to translate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am giving. And the present tense is a is a the default meaning of present tense in Greek is continuous. So I am in the habit of giving. I am in the habit of giving back. Now it doesn't have to mean that. A present tense can mean starting now, from now on. Uh-huh. So from now on is a possibility. But you have to have contextual reasons to go with the from now on. Okay. It wouldn't be the default. Is that making that sense? sense? Sorry to Greek, sorry to Greek out on you, but um, you were grinning. Was that the thing you were thinking That's of? That's the thing I was thinking of. Have you discussed this with people before? Or did just did you just hit hit it, hit you for the first time? Because this is like a long standing debate that a bunch of my colleagues here and I have gotten into. I don't know. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if that was an it was that was a new question for you. How does your translation do it? The one you had today it says. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. Okay. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. So it has the will language in there. But even that in English can imply habitual. Sure. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. So which goes to show that you can't build, you cannot build a interpretive mountain on a little grammatical molehill here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Grammar sets the parameters, but even those parameters are pretty loose. So... You got to look at the larger context than what seems possible. But then let's look at the larger context. There's no talk of repentance here. Jesus yeah. just invites himself yeah. over. There's, you know, however, on the flip side, I'm here to seek who was lost. But does lost mean he's a bad person or does it just mean that he's been excluded from the community? You can actually interpret it as Jesus knew that this man, it's why he knows his name. That's part of the surprise. He calls him by name. Hmm. Yeah. Somehow yeah. Jesus yeah. knew that this man actually even though he was an outcast because of his proximity to the Gentile world and because of his complicity in Roman occupation, because that's what this would have meant. Yep. And But he says, you know, not that he became, so salvation comes to this house, verse 9, because this man is a son of Abraham, right? Not becomes, he already is a son of Abraham. He's a fellow Jew like you guys. Right. Get off his case. Turns out he was actually more righteous than you realized. And it could be exposing their false righteousness. That's all about being pure and not consorting with sinners. And Jesus says the better righteousness is giving to the poor. This is a possible reading. Mm-hmm. And there are commentators who put, you know, Joel Green does, Joseph Fitzmaier. But there's big name commentators who support this okay. alternative reading. So it's not just a, a sort of crazy thought. How do you, how does that react in you? Are you excited by the new alternative or are you more drawn? Like if we were to just take sides for the sake of dialogue and, and dialectic and debate and which, which, uh, which way of reading you more attracted to? Yeah. Well, you know, I keep coming back to verse seven. They began to grumble the guest of one who was a sinner. So their anger would, if, if he's already in the habit of doing these great things and their anger would be based primarily on the fact that he just had this role, uh, not mm. necessarily how he executed the role. Or they're ignorant of it. Or they're ignorant. Or it doesn't oh, count to true. them. That's or true. Or it doesn't matter. Yeah. Who cares if you give to the poor, you hang out with... Because remember with Tolkien... Tuck- I'm sorry, I'm taking... No, no. So you're drawn to the possibility, this alternative reading? Yeah. You want to play with it for a I, little I while? Think, I not, think it's fun to play with. Because then, I'll, then I'll, 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 I'll stand by the traditional reading. Okay. And we can have okay. some fun with it. Great. But don't give in quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe because maybe Zacchaeus is just giving without his left hand knowing what his right hand is doing. So maybe uh-huh. he's intentionally keeping this quiet. Well, until now, of course. Yeah, right. So that would be one of the objections to this alternative reading is to say this is kind of an act of boasting. 
right? Yeah. And um, and he only says it, we, we see, after they've begun to, to grumble. So is he just justifying himself? No, look, I'm already here. Or is he, you know, proclaiming who he wants to be? I like the not, I like you bringing up the right hand, left hand thing. That if he's been doing this secretly, that would be appropriate to the righteousness of the kingdom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they just didn't know about it. Right? Right. Um, although, interestingly, the judgment on the people, the crowds, in verse 7, is even stronger if he did do this and it was well known. Because mm-hmm. it would mean that they are ignoring his his uh, largesse. They're ignoring his uh, love of the poor. Mm-hmm. In favor of the kind of associational impurity code kind of thinking. Because one of the key things with I've been learning recently, really, about toll collectors is um, it's not just that they're complicit in the Roman okay. oppression. It's that. Okay. But it's also the fact that they are ceremonially unclean. Huh. Because they ha- huh. you just know a tax collector is spending time with Gentiles because they're going to be handing oh. off. Right. Yeah. So the assumption yeah. that it's often mentioned. So there's like three layers. There's the, it was assumed that they were skimming off the top. Yeah. But even if they weren't, even if they were totally had total integrity, they're still complicit in mm-hmm. oppression. Mm-hmm. However, they're not always choosing to do this work, right? That, you know, every, in a sense, everyone, if you're participating in the economy at all, you're complicit in Roman oppression. Sure. Like, yeah. how do you not? But then even still, you're ceremonial unclean. So it's like, it's like a three, it's a three layer thing. You're probably dishonest. Even if you're not dishonest, you're complicit. And even if your complicity is not totally your fault, sorry, man, you can't go into the temple. You have to do a special ceremony to be rendered clean. Perhaps not welcome in the synagogue because of the worry that they would then make you unclean. So the fact is, if he's ceremonial unclean, that means they aren't going to associate with him. He's not being invited over to their meals. Mm -hmm. They would not say yes if he invited them over. Yeah. So he's treated like a sinner. That's why you say sinners and tax collectors, except they're the tax collectors, high class sinner typically, right? Sure, sure. So, um, so, but what do you do? You have no friends. So you end up hanging out with Romans more. Now you're having parties with Roman soldiers at your house because they're the only people who will hang out with you. Yeah. Which just worsens the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So how would they even know if he was this generous man? They Mm -hmm. wouldn't, they might not even know it. Yeah. Uh, because he's just not a part of their community. Well, I don't even know what side I'm taking. I don't care anymore. We don't have to have a debate. That's silly for me to try to pick a fight. I mean, it's it can be fun sometimes. But <laughs> and and Jesus' response today: salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of, of Abraham. He's he's almost not addressing anything that anybody has said. He's he's making a pronouncement, but he, he's not responding to uh, the people. Okay, knock that off. He's not saying to Zacchaeus, "Oh, that that's great. Okay, yes, I accept this." He's just kind of making a proclamation that almost responds to everybody without really responding to anything they're saying. Classic Jesus, right? Yeah. So then let's pay attention to the words today, which interestingly, the song does emphasize today. I'm coming to your house today. Mm-hmm. Today, salvation has come to this house. So here's a, here's a pushback from the point of view of the traditional interpretation. Okay. If he's already living in accordance with the economics of the kingdom, if this is a habitual present rather than a, a future, uh, a from now on kind mm-hmm. of present tense mm-hmm. in verse eight. Then what is it about today that makes salvation coming? He's already doing it. Yeah. That's a question to yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. So ask it again. What about? So if he's already living in accordance with the economics of the kingdom, mm-hmm. then in what sense is salvation coming to his house today? So how is Jesus 
Speaking of salvation here. Yeah, if he's already, if, if he's already a good mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What makes what makes salvation an event that's happening today? Jesus emphasizes it today. 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 What's new today, according to your interpretation? Well, it's the, the, the presence of Jesus. Jesus oh, dang, in his house. That's a good move. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus answer. But it's a good move, especially because that's the other time the word today appears. Verse Where? five. Verse right? five. It's in the song. Oh, I'm going sure. to your yep. house today, yep. 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 right? I must stay at your house today. Yeah, it is necessary for me to stay at your house today. So today, so we've the theme of today has already been introduced as the presence of Jesus. Yeah. So I think that's a good textual support for what you just said there. Yeah. Any connection with Jesus on the cross and the today you will be with me in paradise? Same word. I mean, it'd be interesting to find out all the places where Jesus says today. Same word. And that's and that appears only in Luke. Hmm. So you're getting another kind of Luke in theme. Today is the moment. Well, Luke also tends to put considerable emphasis on the present tense. You know, that salvation is the event now of being made whole and being restored to the community of God. That's that's the, the way that Luke tends to emphasize mm. in his soteriology, as it were. And he said house. It's the same language as verse five. Today in this house, I am going to eat. And today in this house, salvation has come. Because he too is a child of Abraham. Well, that's fun. Now, it's an open question. and Maybe I can ask this and we'll take a break and come back. Is how much does one need to make a decision on this reading? Because it really does lead in two different directions in the way you take the text. So I think we should explore how to go about preaching this, Mm -hmm. if if it does affect the preaching, and if so, how. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so let's come back to that after break. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So let's explore some sermon starters. Where do we we want to head with this in a sermon? Again, picking up even specifically. Let me ask the meta question. It's not really a meta question. It's a, a sort of prior question. Do we need to settle that matter, interpretive matter, to preach this text well. I mean, sometimes, you know, you can leave a question open. Uh, is, is it more pressing with this one in your sense? I don't think so. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think you need to fall off the log with this. Uh, now I will pick a fight. This will be fun. Like these is a two totally different stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what the I mean meaning. is I don't think that something is at stake if you go one way or the other. Mm. I think you can go either way and preach a... Um, yeah, but they're two different sermons. They are two different sermons. That's what I'm saying. So you do have to fall off the log is what you're actually saying. Yeah. You're saying you're okay with our listeners making their own choice. Yes. That either way. And in fact, you could preach it two weeks in a row and preach two different r- oh, great sermons. Oh, that would sermons. be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. But I feel like it's a different sermon either way. What if you could preach two sermons in the same sermon, but actually <laughs> call, call attention to it? <laughs> so even start off by saying, I'm going to preach two sermons today. Which one is for you? <laughs> Well, if I laugh because, I mean, if you really felt led that that would really open up possibilities because of our congregational exegesis, because mm-hmm. there's different people mm-hmm. in the room, yeah. then if it's a cop-out, I think that's that's a, 
I think, a waste of energy. Sure. And just would create confusion. If you're just avoiding making a decision, make a decision, you know. But yeah, if you really sense that that would have some value, because what are the two different reads? I mean, if it's the traditional interpretation is about how the presence of Jesus without any special command. I mean, he doesn't tell the guy sell all that you own, like yeah. he ha- he, which yeah. he does say a few chapters before to somebody else. It's just how the presence of Jesus invites repentance. Yes. And, and tax collectors experience salvation through repentance in the book of Luke. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the best argument in favor of the traditional reading yeah. is, of course, he's repenting because that's what tax collectors are supposed to do. And, and he's not repenting from being a tax collector. He's not saying I'm no longer going to be a tax collector. Right. I'm going to leverage it for good. Yes. That's right. And radically so. Fourfold. If I, I'm not planning on, because he's not saying if I, you know, and if, you know, anyone is defrauded, right? right? If, if, and remember, he's the chief tax collector. So someone else on, on his team might have done the defrauding. He's saying, I'm going to correct that. Yeah. Okay. So, so one, one really emphasizes the repentance of Zacchaeus. Mm Mm-hmm. The traditional interpretation. Right. This alternative interpretation mm-hmm. emphasizes, I think, the invitation of the repentance by the community. Yes. Right? I it's think saying so. I think so. It it challenge it's about challenging stereotypes. Yeah. And about reversing expectation of where virtue really is. And of the the prioritizing, which very Luke and theme, the prioritizing of purity laws over over sure. care for the poor. Sure. Right? Yep. A willingness to risk your own integrity in order to be one who cares for mm-hmm. those in need. So then that raises a congregation like Jesus question, right? Is what do your people need to hear? Yeah. Do your people need to hear that they need to repent of their own avarice and greed and lack of generosity? Uh-huh. Or is it that they need to repent of their stereotyping of other people that they think? Right, right. Which way would you be inclined to, to interpret it in the, con- in, the, in the congregations you tend to serve in and preach for? Would you tend to read the more traditional reading that uh, Zacchaeus in this moment is deciding to repent, to give away? It doesn't use the word repent, but – or this alternative reading as I'm calling it, which is the – that he's revealing what his practice already is. And the, the, the community that needs to convert is the, the, what needs to convert is the community to realize who he is and to include yeah, him back yeah. into the community. I, I think I would still go for the, for the traditional read here, uh, partly because you can still address the sin of the community within the traditional read. Ah, okay. You, you, you can still call out the, um, the, the, the murmuring and the, um, the, the, the stereotype is still there. Yeah, you're right. That's true. That's true. That's a good insight. Oh, that is a good insight. And that makes it so that maybe your original hunch that you might be able to leave this interpretive matter ambiguous is maybe an option uh, in preaching the text. A lot of it just depends on where you're going to focus. Right, right. Um, in your in your sermon. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, it, some of it has to do with previous themes, you know, so just like a week or two ago, we had um, Sophia on and we looked at that really bizarre passage in 16. Of Lazarus and the rich man. Right. Yeah. Right. Another Luke, another Luke only. And that had this language of uh, Abraham being referred to as Father Abraham. Okay. And actually, we sang a kid song on that yeah, episode. There was one. Father Abraham had many sons. So this would, 
especially for those of us who are listening in, if you maybe leverage that theme, this would be able to way to pick that theme back up. To me, my favorite moment in this whole passage is the second half of nine. Really? Yes. He also, even him, so it could be even, even he is a son of Abraham, right? Like that's the most beautiful thing to this passage to me. It's him telling and it, it runs both directions. It's, it's, he's been restored as a son of man. I mean, a son of Abraham, hmm. but it's also telling the community, treat this man like a son of Abraham. So I think yeah. I actually would yeah. be, without being heavy handed, I, I'm, let me, let me say that this is an aside. I, 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 I'm attracted to the Fitzmaier Green alternative reading okay. that we've discussed mm-hmm. today. I'm attracted mm-hmm. to it for various reasons in Luke. Uh, and the way it highlights other Lucan themes. So many of the stories in Luke culminate in a moment of a, someone being restored to the community who's been an outcast. Yeah. So th- this fits that theme really well. It does. But my biggest worry is precise. I don't like sermons that say you always... Uh-huh. I, I love that uh-huh. in Bible study. I love it when I'm it, gathering yes. with 12 teenagers yes. and they see something new. Yeah. I really worry about the kind of... I'm the genius who sees this mm-hmm. new thing. You can't I, read the Bible without me. That's what I worry about. Right. Honestly, that's yep. my biggest yep. worry about this. So by emphasizing, maybe, by emphasizing 9b as the kind of theme of the, the passage um, is a way to introduce that alternative reading without emphasizing it and making it okay. the point, yeah, right? Yeah, I like that. So then the question becomes, who else is a son of Abraham? That's That's the question that I could... I could do in the sermon and play with it. And it's a narrative. So make it a narrative, like maybe tell the story from the perspective of someone in the crowd who's local. Sure. So who knows about the Zacchaeus guy and who's surprised at what Jesus is doing Mm -hmm. and is kind of part of the murmuring, but maybe open to it, you know, like really complexify the read on Zacchaeus. Right. Yeah. Um, Perhaps someone who's been defrauded by one of Zacchaeus's underlings. And you can really leave it a little ambiguous about whether he's given to the poor already or not. Because from the perspective of the crowd, as far as they know, this is when it starts. Because <laughs> now they know about it. Right, right. Right. So make it more about the revelation of, so what does it mean to see another as a son of Abraham? Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would speak to our time because we have a lot of, I mean, I think at least it's happening all over the world. Uh, but in the North American context in which, which you and I live, Amanda, there's... There's just a lot of the hyperpartisanship, the the the, sure. the teams. Sure. There's the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah. It's just our mentality. Yeah. And this would maybe challenge that a little bit. And what does it mean to have to hear Jesus say that he too is a son of Abraham? Hmm. And again, it's kind of weird because he says it to Zacchaeus, but then he speaks of Zacchaeus in the third person, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he, he's speaking to the crowd too. I think that's where I kind of would want to maybe go with this sermon. Okay. So really kind of experience it and invite the people in the congregation to experience the surprise of the gospel Hmm. and maybe even introduce this interpretive problem and leave it unsolved by saying, who knows? I'm seeing if we do it from the crowd, you could kind of say, who knows? Maybe he's been, maybe he's been doing this all along. We just didn't realize it. You know, yeah. Or maybe this is the first time. Either way, he's a son of Abraham. That's what you could do is say it's not about the deserving poor or the deserving, the the deserving sinner. Well, it's not like some sinners deserve to be welcomed more than others. (laughs) You know. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, that's just me brainstorming. I don't know how that clicks with you in terms of your sermon starting. Oh, I like that. I, I think, I think where my mind gets drawn the most is the first three verses, first four verses, and just this this desire to see Jesus and what is He going to do in order to see Jesus? The seeing theme. The the, the seeing yeah. theme. That that hey, what, whatever you need to do to see Jesus. And, and I think it's interesting, too, that he's just trying to see Jesus. So often we've got people who are mm. trying to get near to him or touch him or um, even even have them hear his voice. They're trying to talk loud enough. He's, he's not even trying to do any of that. He just wants to see Jesus. And we get the impression that, that he's going to be content if his eyes can just can just fall upon Jesus. But seeing Jesus uh, is, is transformative nonetheless, even though he's not trying for... He's not trying to do a dinner invitation with his eyes, <laughs> uh, but just in his desire to see Jesus, uh, something is transformative there. That's so great. And then the turning point on that uh, reading becomes verse five, because then Jesus sees him. Yeah. yeah. Right. So then what makes all the difference when we're trying to see Jesus is Jesus seeing us. Mm-hmm, oh, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then you and, can ask in three. Oh, go ahead. And, and it's a, you're asking people into this low stake experience, uh, uh, experiment. Like, look, you, you, just, just try, just try to look at Jesus. You know, don't, don't worry about trying to, you know, put all your eggs in one basket. You're going to clean out your old whole house and prepare this wonderful banquet. Yeah, that stuff is great. But for now, just this first step, just just look for Jesus. Hmm. What what needs to happen in order for you to see Jesus? What do you have to climb? What do you have to get rid of? Um, oh, the allegorizing there is so great. Like what's in the way? Right. The crowds. And, and what's going to help you? What's your sycamore tree mm-hmm. in your life that you can lean into that will help you see Jesus? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Because then the tree is then, those are the means of grace, right? Yeah. What are yeah. the... And, and and community. That's I mean, he, he wouldn't have to have a tree if he had, you know, friends hoisting him. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, but the community is a means of grace, right? right so, I mean, right. I, I don't mean means of grace is just practices, just uh, what is the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what are the hindrances and then what are the helps yeah. to seeing Jesus? And then let Jesus take care of the rest of it. You know what I mean? I and, think that's great. It sounds like you, we, you and I need to uh, team teach this and just trade off halfway through. Part, you do the second <laughs> And even I, I imagine there's some indignity too for him to be climbing a tree. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. No, I think that's right. But you're the you're you're in good exegetical grounds with verse three and four. Repeat the to see Jesus. He's seeking to see right. Jesus. Same yep. verb again in verse four, so that he could see him. So he was about to pass by that way. So I, I think it's really great. And then interestingly, if we were. Again, and maybe our listeners have the opportunity to team teach. Uh, maybe you have other preachers around. You, this is a nat- the sermon gives itself to that because there's a whole narrative and then a whole second moment. Right. Because it turns, verse seven turns with a seeing. It does. And it then does. the crowd sees, yes. right? Same verb. Yes. Yes. It don't say. So then you can kind of talk about the, the, the crowds. And the Son of Man came to seek out. And there, there's seeing all throughout this passage. Yeah, the seek, which is back from the opening line, which mm-hmm. is he was seeking to see. <laughs> That's so good. Well, there you go. There's at least two different sermon possibilities, neither of which actually uh, require a sort of absolute fall off the log on right. some of those interpretive matters. Yeah. Uh, although actually the seeing thing and the what are the obstacles does raise your an earlier question about who's the short one here. <laughs> 
<laughs> but in a way, it kind of raises in a way that it doesn't matter. Right. Is it Jesus it this short or is I this short? Either way. Because And that's the thing that people ask, like, is, is God feel distant because God is withdrawing or because there's something wrong in my life? Either way, the the only thing that's going to ultimately change it is Christ himself looking up and inviting you, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, so you got to lean in with what you know and what you do have, but... Oh, well, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for yeah, interpreting thanks. scripture with me today and offering some sermon starters to our listeners. Thank you. Um, thank you so much to you, Amanda. And thank you to all our listeners uh, for chiming in week in and week out. And thanks for subscribing and sharing and for rating and reviewing just to get the word out on what we're doing here. Thanks to Eric Fisher and Todd Bouchong for their great uh, editorial work. And a uh, big thanks to Tom Adamson for donating that theor- theme music. And with that said, we'll say... Have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.